Good morning. Do I need a microphone or can you hear me okay? You hear me okay? Okay, good. We've got a microphone on our recording, but I don't think I'm going to use one this morning, if that's okay with everybody, if you can hear me okay. Um, man, it's so good to see you all. Welcome back to uh, our former campus. Looks a little different, doesn't it? But uh, I'm excited, so excited for the community, excited for AMFRA. Uh, we hosted a lunch this week for teachers and administrators and uh, just catered a lunch for them and just told them we loved them, we're praying for them, and we're here for them. And as they have needs and as we can serve those kids, we can do tutoring, if we can be a blessing to them, pray for issues that they have, that this to us is sacred ground in a way, <laughs> in that uh, this is a place where families and generations have prayed and sought the Lord and, and uh, just believe that God is going to bless this place and in turn bless our city. I believe that. And I'm excited about that. So um, it was a blessing to be able to help them and, and to do that this week. Um, well, I am, I'm glad to be back. Uh, my family was on vacation last week, had the privilege of being asked to preach in Puerto Rico. And some of us have to suffer for Jesus. So I decided, we decided to, to suffer over there for a week. And uh, it was a beautiful time. Uh, we saw two people come to know Jesus on Sunday last week. And what a, what, a, what a privilege, and what a, nothing more to get your heart inspired and excited than the grace of God at work in the lives of people, right? And uh, that's what I even hear this morning as we're worshiping. I can't help but think about the passages in, in the Bible that talk about singing over one another. So if there's one great thing about even this small room, is that we get to hear each other beautifully. And we hear each other being uh, faithful to that, that admonition, right? To sing songs over one another and that's what we're doing this morning and how beautiful it is uh, some of you are new to us we're glad you're with us thanks for being with us in this transition let me just say this hey um this is a season of grace like a, like all seasons but we need a little extra grace right now okay would you give it to us would you please give it to us we need it because i mean obviously we're working hard to get things set up and to make sound systems work in different spaces and setting up chairs and, and just doing, doing things in different places. And, it's, and I think it's awesome. Even Hayden alluded to this. I'm so glad you did, Hayden, because I think God in his sovereignty and kindness is showing us that the church is not the place that you meet, right? The church is not the place that you meet. It, it's, it's you, and we can meet anywhere. And I promise you, in Puerto Rico and other places all around the world, people are meeting under trees and under bridges and in homes and in places that don't even have these things. And so the question is, what, what would we do if we didn't have these things? So I think it's a beautiful opportunity for the Lord to say, will you, will you gather? Will you be the body of Christ together? Kind of no matter what it looks like or where it is, will you be faithful to serve and be together? So I'm, I'm just grateful to you. Thank you for being with us today. And I, I'm enjoying this little closer closer setup so we can hear each other and uh, love each other. This is kind of like a living room. You know I like those. Well, uh, I'm excited. I want to tell you this quickly before we get started. This is going to be a little bit of a longer message. It's, it's a doozy. Okay, I'm just going to tell you from the beginning. It's a doozy. And so it's going to be a little more teaching maybe than preaching. So get your pencils and your notebooks ready because we're going to get into some deep stuff this morning uh, in Jesus' prophecy of the end times, in essence. And so we're going to look at that here in just a minute. But I wanted to give you an update on our new building. Many of you know that we, most of you know, we've purchased a building uh, off of Shackleford, 317 Shackleford, where the old P.F. Chang's was. 
that is finished, closed. We have insurance, and we even have permits in hand ready for construction and renovation to begin. That's huge. That's a big deal. Our, uh, the guy who's our general contractor, he said, I've never seen it come through this fast. <laughs> and I, and I, that's just one thing. Also, I told you that the master builders were a possibility. They're coming. That's going to save our church literally fifty to $75,000. That's huge. And we, we have to get, there's little things. I just see God at work in every little confirmation. But this week, we just, I'll just share this with you. So we got to get what's called a load test so that we know how much air conditioning we need to put in the space. It's going to cost us six or $7,000 with this first company. We looked again and kept trying, finding another one. $1,000, $1,500 for another company. It's like, we'll go with that one. <laughs> it's like God has just given us provision at every turn, and, and we're just so grateful, just so grateful. Uh, well, we've been in this study in the book of Mark, and I have loved it. I've been uh, so encouraged in the gospel of Mark. I hope that you have as well. And we're kind of drawing to the end. Some of you are like, well, it's about time. This is the 40th week in it. Um, but uh, we're in chapter 13, Okay. And we have been in the Passion Week of Jesus. This is the last week of Jesus' life. He, um, we, we've talked about, it was either Sunday or Monday, we're not for sure when this was, but Jesus rides down the Mount of Olives. We celebrated on Sunday, but it could have actually been on Monday. Jesus rides down the Mount of Olives, and he's being worshipped. Or is he? <laughs> right? People are saying worshipful things, but they don't mean it from their hearts. And so as Jesus rides down, one of the Gospels tells us he begins to weep. Because their hearts are not authentic. They're not truly worshiping in a, in a spirit of, of, of true worship. They're worshiping for what they think they're getting with Jesus. Right? A military leader who's going to overthrow Rome. And, and so he weeps because he says to the temple and to the Pharisees and to the Jewish people and to Jerusalem, you have missed it. You've missed the time of your visitation. And it breaks his heart. And we see the compassion of our Savior for people. He wants people to know him. And he weeps. And then we see as the week goes on, Monday and Tuesday, and in Wednesday, Wednesday's been such a busy day as we've seen multiple messages come just from Wednesday alone. And here we are Wednesday, at the end of the day. I don't know if the sun's setting, I don't know what's happening, but they're walking out of the temple. And you've got to think about this. This is Jesus' last time to walk out that gate. This is his last time to leave the temple. His first time in the temple was being held by his mother and being blessed by the priest. And what a special place this was to Jewish people. And he understands that now this place represents an apostate, awful, uh, self-works-oriented religion instead of the heart of God for his people. And so as he walks out, he, he's leaving. And, of course, we began to study that text last Sunday in our City Group Sundays. This section of Scripture is known in the theological world as the Olivet Discourse. It's, it's spoken of in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it is incredibly important for believers. We talk about end times all the time, and as you live and you watch TV and you see different things that are going on, we think about, this feels like the end times to me. I can't believe that happened, and I can't believe I heard that they're doing that, and I can't believe this over here. It's just this ongoing, shocking reality of the times we're living in, right? And so the end times is a, is a kind of a hot topic, um, and it just so happens that in our discussion, in our study of God's Word in Mark, 
we've come to this place called the Olivet Discourse where Jesus teaches about the end times. Now, last week in City Group Sundays, um, we started this conversation in Mark 13, verse 1. And we're going to start today in verse 14, but because it is the continuity of it all, I really feel led to, to read the first part as well. Because I want you just to kind of get it all in one, one swoop. So I'm going to read this fast, but just stay with me. Mark 13, and we're going to start with uh, 1 through 13, okay? It says, And he came out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. Maybe the sun was just hitting it perfectly. I don't know. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be uh, left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives up opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Isn't that your question too? <laughs> it is mine. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And uh, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. Uh, these are but the beginning of birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings uh, for my sake to bear witnesses before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. And when, they and then when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. We're going to pause right there. We're going to pray and just as we take a look a little bit of some of that, but also in where we're going in text this morning, let's just pray that God would teach us today, can we? Father, we just take a moment. We just take a deep breath in your goodness and your grace. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us, your concern to teach us, your concern to warn us, to prepare us. Thank you for your grace and your goodness, and thank you for this moment with your triad of disciples and Andrew. And God, just thank you for an opportunity even for us to see ourselves in this story and learn the things that you'd have us to learn about these times that we live in. Lord, we love you. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, <laughs> maybe in some ways more than most days, God, I pray that you would lead us to all truth today by your Spirit. That you would help me to decrease and get out of your way, God. And that you would increase in this time in our hearts and our minds. And that you would give us a clear understanding of, of truly what you intend in this text. And give us faith to believe that what you say happens. That we can trust you, Lord. And we can rest in knowing you are coming again and have joy today because of that fact and that truth. We love you, Lord. We give you this time in this text in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So like I said, I'm not sure if this was just a beautiful afternoon, but Jesus takes this opportunity to say to the disciples, it's not about the buildings, right? It's not about the buildings, it's not about the stones. 
Uh, and, and then it, it kind of gets a little fast forward to where Jesus is now sitting um, across from uh, the temple. And, and if you've ever been to the Mount of Olives, I've shown you pictures before, and I'm probably going to show you some uh, pictures maybe in a couple of weeks. We'll see. But it's very interesting. There's, there's uh, not a very high mountain. The Mount of Olives comes down into what's called the Kidron Valley. And then it goes, the Kidron Valley goes over up into the old city of Jerusalem. And as you're, as you're standing on the Mount of Olives, you can see the whole, the whole city, the gate, the, the eastern gate. And um, we're going to get into this next week probably in our city group Sunday. But there are approximately 150,000 tombs lining the, the hillside of the Mount of Olives. Jewish mostly tombs. There's probably some Christian ones there. But they, they literally go from the top of the, it's, it's odd. I mean, it's a strange, if you're ever there, you're like, okay, this is a big graveyard. And it goes all the way down the mountain and goes literally into the Kidron Valley, all the way up to the gate. There are tomb sites all the way up to the gate. And uh, even some Muslim tomb sites that are trying to be um, disparaging in, in, even in their placement there. No time to go into all that. But it's, it's interesting, 150,000, the reason they're there is because Jesus says when he comes back, he's going to come down that mountain and right through that eastern gate, right? And so people are going, well, I want to be right there <laughs> when Jesus comes back. I want to be as close as I can be to his return, so put me right there. So that's the reason there's so many tombs and, and grave sides that are, that are literally right there, and it's just a, an amazing place. Again, I, t- I teased you a couple of weeks ago about a possible trip, and I had several of you come and say, plan it, and I'll go. So we may actually look into that at some point. So, uh, but anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's a neat, neat space. So here's, Jesus is giving this first prophecy. And uh, I got to tell you, it could be very confusing. If you're just reading through Mark, if you're just reading through Matthew or Luke, and you're reading this, this all of that discourse, it can be very confusing. Because it feels like one big prophecy. And then you're kind of going, I thought this happened, and wait, I'm kind of confused, and it's just, it's very interesting. So what we want to do today is help you understand that this is not, I don't believe, just one big prophecy that happens in one specific time. This is prophecies that happen in different times. All of it was future facing in that moment with Jesus. So if this was 30, 33 AD, somewhere around there, less than 40 years from this moment would be the destruction of the temple. And there would not be one stone left upon another exactly fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus that the temple would be torn down, right? So this is the first thing he speaks to. But there really, I believe, are three separate uh, uh, events here. Now, let me, I want to just kind of say this real quick. I'm getting outside of my notes. I'm so excited. Um, this can be very confusing, uh, cryptic, very interesting, um, and sometimes when you talk about end times, it just turns into white noise. And you kind of go, okay, just keep going. I, you're, just, you're just like, I'm not even sure. I just say, yay, Jesus is coming back. And I don't know, it's like, you don't get into the details, right? Because it can be white noise in a way. Also, know this, there are a lot of opinions. Because it is so confusing. There are a lot of opinions about what happens when and how. And there are probably multiple opinions even here. Today, you get to hear my opinion. <laughs> and what I believe, and it's not based on just uh, kind of what I like, it's what I truly believe Scripture teaches, and it, which is what informs my belief in this direction that I'm going to teach you today. 
but um, just know that there's a lot of different views. There's even a, a view uh, called preterism that believes all these things happened already for the most part. These, these have happened. They happened around 70 AD. There's a lot of very, some, some even theologians that I really respect a lot have that preterist view. Um, I do not. I'm what you would call a futurist. I believe Jesus is t teaching about different aspects of things that are yet still to come. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to get into that. The Olivet Discourse is the second longest message in Matthew, and it's the longest response of Jesus in the New Testament. So when somebody asks him a question, he responds. This is the longest response he gives in all of the New Testament. All right? Um, like I said, I, I believe he's speaking about three spe specific events. The first happened in 70 AD, which is the destruction of the temple. Um, and then the next event he's going to get to, which we're going to mainly focus on today in just a little bit, is the abomination of desolation. Very cryptic, scary kind of a sounding thing, and it is. <laughs> uh, it is. And then the last thing I believe Jesus is going to uh, prophesy about is his his, uh, the end times of his coming where he will, he will bring with him the angels and all believers uh, together in his return. So those are the events that I believe we're going to get into today. So here he sits on the Mount of Olives looking across at the, the old city of Jerusalem. He's sitting with his triad, Peter, James, and John, and then they let Andrew come with him. Right? And so he's got these four guys and they've walked over. Now notice, they were walking out of the gate when they asked the question. And Jesus levels them with, yeah, these stones, they're not going to be one left up on top of each other. Come on, let's go across the mountain. That's like, <laughs> what did he just say? And so there's just this tension moment, right? I don't know. It takes about, it probably take 15 or 20 minutes at least to get less than a mile to get from where they were out of the gate, across the Kidron Valley to a place where they could sit. 15, 20, 30 minutes. And they finally get up there and they're sitting there and then they're like, <clears throat> yes, Lord, <laughs> can you please uh, reiterate, can you please help us understand what you just said and, and what's going to happen, right? And so they begin to ask this question. The text says that Jesus sits down with them, which is a common practice for a rabbi. When they're traveling and he's ready to teach, let's take a seat. Come on, let's sit down and let's learn. And that's what he does with his disciples in this moment. They sit down and he begins to teach them, oh boy, does he begin to teach them and us? Their understanding and many understanding of Jews in that time frame is that the end time was just one big event. And so when Jesus makes a comment about the destruction of the temple, they ask this question, when does it happen? When did, in other words, when does it all happen at that one time? They didn't have uh, the, an understanding that there would be multiple events or epochs times of, of, of different aspects of things that happen in, in a sequence, if you will. Um, Jesus, interestingly, doesn't really answer their question <laughs> at all, really. He just kind of starts talking about some of these events. And from our study last week, I'm not going to go back over all of it, but just to highlight the things that he mentions, he says, number one, don't be led astray. Don't be deceived. I had an interesting Facebook uh, kind of exchange. I don't have those very much. I don't like them, honestly, but... Sometimes I just feel led with friends to speak truth and feel led to do that. And there was a friend who was putting something that was heretical <laughs> out there. And I just spoke to it and spoke truth to it, not in a, uh, trying to not be controversial, but in a loving way, I wanted to speak truth to my friend. 
they are, they are believing uh, a lie. They are being led astray. They are being deceived. And this is exactly what Jesus says to beware of. Beware of false messiahs. Uh, and, and we're going to see things happen. And, and listen, we're seeing things happen as a result. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, plague. These are birth pains, Jesus says. And if you've been around um, a mama who's given birth, or if you've been a mama who's given birth, you know that when it comes time to, to give birth, things speed up. You have the first contraction, I don't know how far before the, hap- the baby comes, but a ways. And then they start getting a little closer and closer and closer, and then bam, the baby comes, right? Same thing with the end times. Things seem like maybe they're a little far apart. And if you've noticed now, in my opinion, in ways it feels like things are getting closer and closer and more chaotic and more hectic. And praise the Lord, come on, because that means Jesus is that much closer to coming. But that's what it feels like in in birth pains, and that's the reason he gives this uh, example. He says, be on guard last Sunday, right? He's going to say it again this Sunday. Be on guard, and we're going to look at what that means. He says, you will face persecution, you will be beaten. He says, but be a witness. In the middle of difficulty, in the middle of adversity, stand for Jesus. Be a witness because the world needs to hear. I'm so excited. My friends, Sean and, and Jenny Richards are here. You guys, you remember Sean and Jenny over there? Sean and Jenny uh, have been, how many years were you guys in PNG? Gosh, nine years in Papua New Guinea. And uh, they lived on the side of a mountain, a volcano, in fact. And they were working to translate the language of, what was the people group? The Monum, the Monum people and uh, working, living among them, and, and caring for them. They are now back stateside, and um, I'm just, I just love this family. And what they've done, and, and their hearts for mission and for people is phenomenal. But, and I even texted Sean this week as I was <laughs> studying this. Because of this verse, in, uh, in our, our text last week, verse 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. I said, I texted Sean, I said, Sean, if we could get the gospel to all nations, how, how long will that take, do you think? And his, his opinion was maybe 15 years if we really, if the church really got to work, you know. And I don't know, I, honestly, I'm not sure that, that that is dependent upon Jesus coming back. Maybe that's just dependent upon the end. I don't know. That's, some, that's debated. But the reality is Jesus could come back at any moment. At any moment, he could come back. But what's amazing is we could see this done within my lifetime. I just turned 51 this week. Some of you thought I was only 30, I know, but it's really, I'm 50, 51. Um, If the Lord gives me more time, we could see the Lord's return. We could see the end come within my lifetime. And that is an exciting thing. But that verse basically says how important it is for mission to take place. The gospel must be proclaimed to all nations, and then the end will come, right? So we'll talk more about that in just a second. He says, trust that the Spirit of God will give you what to say in these moments. He talks about families being broken over their commitment to Jesus. And he says that true believers, people who truly know Jesus, they will endure, right? It's not that when you endure, you become a true believer, That's a works-based righteousness. No, those of us who know Jesus as our Savior will endure. 
we will, we will endure through these moments. Now, I want to mention this. We talked about this in the book of Acts. And this is true of this story that Jesus is telling. And that is, in, in Acts, you know, the end of Acts, it, it, it keeps going. And I've told you, we're still in that period. It's called the church age. We are still taking the gospel of Jesus to lost people, as we see throughout the book of Acts. We're still establishing churches. We're still making disciples. We're still trying to be the people that God wants us to be that we see in, in the book of Acts, right? That's who we're to be as well. In the same way, I believe this prophecy of Jesus is the first thing that happens was 70 AD with the destruction of the temple. The next thing is going to happen in the future. Don't know when it's going to be. So that means that we are in this story. Are you following me? Today, you and I are living in the time, the church age, before this next prophecy that Jesus is going to get into. Now, I want to just quickly talk about the rapture just for a moment. I'm not going to get into it a lot, okay? But I want to talk about, because this is so interesting, and I want to give some clarity to a timeline, again, that I believe is the timeline that we see in Scripture, all right? In fact, let me just go to this text. Um, this is 1 Thessalonians 4. If you want to write this down, it's not in our notes here. Uh, verse 16, listen to what it says. It says, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the, tr of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's what I'm doing to you right now. I'm encouraging you now that Jesus is going to return. Right? So we have to know that. We have to be confident of that. I believe the timeline looks like this in this prophecy Jesus is giving he doesn't mention the rapture in this prophecy. He goes from the desolation or the destruction of the temple to the, the abomination of desolation. I believe the rapture happens right here. I believe the next thing for the church is the rapture of the church. I believe Jesus is going to come and he's going to take his bride, those of us who know Christ, with him into heaven. I, I believe that. I can't wait. I'm excited about that. But in the timeline, that's, I believe, the next thing that we're looking for. What happens when, we, when we're raptured at that point? That starts a tribulation period of seven years. Okay? So for seven years, it's going to be bad. Um, and there's different texts. I'm, I'm going to put something on our family page this week that if you want to take a deeper dive into some of this discussion... Uh, there's some really great videos and things that will help you do that. And so I'll put that on our family page today. If you're not on our South City family page and you want to be, and you're on Facebook, just ask to join and we'll, we'll, put your, we'll sign you up for that. Um, there's, there's text in, in the book of Daniel. There's text in, in Revelation that speak about this. They call it a seven-week period, but what it means is a seven-year period. And it talks about the fact that the first three and a half years there's going to be a new temple in Jerusalem. And what's crazy and creepy in a way is when I was in Jerusalem and I walked out of the temple, I walked up to this big glass encasement and I'm sitting there looking at it. It's this huge, beautiful silver menorah. You know, a menorah is one of those eight candle things. It's huge. I mean, this thing's this big and it's 
four or five feet tall. It's huge. And it it's, says it's the menorah ready for the new temple. Interesting. In fact, I've even heard that all the supplies and resources and building materials for the new temple are ready in a warehouse, ready to be built. I don't know if that's true or not. But the reality is there will be a new temple that is constructed at the Temple Mount. Um, and when it's constructed, there will be, they will reinstate sacrifices from the old sacrificial system. And they'll begin to sacrifice animals again for the first three and a half years. Now, again, the church, those of us who know Jesus, we've already been raptured. But at that, three, at that beginning of that time, they reinstate the sacrifices. And then halfway through three and a half years, the Antichrist comes and stops those sacrifices and begins to ask for worship of himself and calling himself God. So though that, at that point is where it gets us to what we're looking at uh, today in our text, okay? So the rapture of the church happens. Um, I believe it could be in the next few years. I really do. You know, uh, with, with, if you go to a third world country, you know, sometimes, and, and Sean, I'm sure, has a, a great opinion about this, Sean and Jenny both, but, um, and many missionaries in the room today. But when you go to these countries and you think, we've got we've to, we've there are countries and there are tribes and people who need language so that the gospel can be preached in their language, which is what they were doing. But there's a lot of places, a lot, majority of the world that has the language, we already have languages that the gospel is in. And now almost in almost so many countries of the world have these, have smartphones. And so that's as we have material and video and, and uh, media to send to these places, I believe that the gospel can be preached to the world even on a faster pace um, possibility. Here's, here's the reason I wanted us to take a look at what we talked about last week, okay? And it's an important reason. Jesus, walking outside of the temple for the last time, he told his disciples, there's not one stone that's going to be left on another, right? Remember? In 70 AD, what happened? Exactly what he said, right? There was a Roman army that came in around, I don't know, 68 or so, and it was led by a man by the name of Titus. He was a general. He was dealing with the Jewish insurgency in, the, in, in Jerusalem. And he came up with the idea of uh, leaning scaffolding and wooden pieces against the buildings of the temple and setting it on fire. And so the heat was so intense, in fact, they were able to pry off these huge rocks. Some of these stones at the temple, 12 feet high, 20 feet long. It, you can't imagine the, the tonnage. And yet they were able to pry off these rocks off of the top of the temple into the Kidron Valley. Uh, as the heat intensified, gold that was on top of the temple melts and later is salvaged and looted. But the prophecy of Jesus comes true. Not one stone is left on another. This is the point, friends. What Jesus predicts, what Jesus prophesies happens. Amen. Period. So when we look at the temple destruction, we go, <laughs> I mean, there's not a historian that can deny the fact that Jesus gave this prophecy and less than 40 years later, it happened to the T, exactly the way Jesus said that it would. So I want to just reiterate this phrase. Jesus knows the future and it will come to pass exactly as he says. 
right? And so as we look at this, this next text this morning for a little while, I want to say it again. Jesus knows the future. And it will come to pass exactly as he says. Right? So we fast forward just a little bit, and Jesus doesn't give a, he doesn't really give a signal, and which can help, which is kind of confusing at times. But he moves from a very close thing, less than 40 years prophecy, to one that has not even happened yet in 2,000 years. Look with me in our text for today, Mark 13, verses 14 to 23 is our text for today. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is. Do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform miracles and signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all these things beforehand. All right. <laughs> Again, as you read this, sometimes you would have the temptation to go, Okay, let's keep reading, right? It's just, it's, it's confusing. What is he talking about? What in the world is the abomin abomination of desolation? And again, different opinions about this. Uh, the word abomination means to be detestable to God. A disgusting, detestable thing that happens. Uh, and, and the Greek word basically it defines it as foul or immoral or blasphemous or abhorrent. abhorrent. Um, it usually refers to idolatry, demonic worship or idolatry of some kind. Look at uh, a parallel passage from Matthew 24, 15. Again, the story is told here, uh, Mark 13, Matthew 24, and I think Luke 21. But in Matthew, it gives us a little bit more information. So we look at that. Matthew 24, 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation, watch this, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, that's two new pieces of information, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So we have new information. So Jesus is saying, as Matthew records it, that Jesus, he's referring to the same information that Daniel is referring to when he speaks of the abomination of desolation, Right? or the abomination, as, as he puts it in, uh, in Daniel. If you want to study this and look deeper into this, you're going to be looking at Daniel 8, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, and Daniel 12. I'm having to give you sort of an overview this morning. But this is where Daniel speaks of these different uh, abominations that he's talking about that are prophetic to, to what happens and what even Jesus is speaking of. The idea is that something awful, detestable, horrible, evil happens in the temple. It happens in this holy place in the temple. Um, most people, 
or most theologians that I've studied and, and definitely agree with, believe that this abomination of desolation is this moment of the Antichrist uh, who sets up his throne, the scripture tells us, in the temple, right? He will, he will do this in this new temple, and then he begins to claim that he is God. You find this in 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, verse 4, and Revelation 13, verse 15, if you're interested in looking at that deeper. That is the abomination of desolation. When this Antichrist ends sacrifices, he starts the sacrificial system up again in this new temple, stops it, and he says, forget that worship, worship me. And he says, I'm God. In that moment, that, that signifies the midway point of the tribulation, and it ushers in the most horrible of those seven years. The last three and a half years of tribulation will be horrible, horrible. It will be a major world event, and uh, it's a terrible, terrible thing. So Jesus alludes to how terrible it is. We're going to hit this quickly, verses 14 through 19 in our text. Jesus says, if, if you're in Jerusalem or Judea and you see this thing happen, in other words, he's basically saying to the, his disciples, he doesn't give them a ton of signs, but he says, here's one. When you see the abomination of desolation happen, watch what he says. Those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Get out. Let the one who's on the housetop not even go down or enter his house or take anything out. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to get his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant or for those nursing infants in those days, pray that it not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. This is, this is such a horrible reality. Jesus says, when you see this, get, like, go. Don't even take a moment. Don't even take a moment to try and get the things you, you think you need to go get or make things right. Just leave. Because it's such a horrible holocaust, if you will. If that, if, when I say the word holocaust, I don't know if it does this to you, but my heart just, ugh, when I hear the word holocaust, right? Because we know the death and destruction that, that, that Hitler caused in the holocaust. Listen, it was nothing compared with what's going to happen on the earth in the tribulation. Death and destruction. And in Jerusalem, especially to Jews. Especially to Jews and Christians, horrible, horrible things will happen. So that's why Jesus says, get out of Jerusalem immediately. Then we see in the text in verse 20, even in the middle of this judgment period, because the tribulation in, in some form is part of God's judgment on the world, we see His mercy. God is always a God of mercy. Verse 20, if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now, in this moment, this again, this is the second half of the tribulation period, I believe. It is awful. Um, this is not saying that Jesus is shortening the hours in a day. Now our days are only 12 hours and the sun comes. That's, I don't believe that's what he's saying. I believe what he's saying is in his mercy, he's only going to allow this horrible tribulation second half to only last three and a half years. He's not going to allow this death and destruction just to continue on and go on and on and, and be awful. Instead, he's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's already planned this is a three and a half year period and I'm going to cut that short. I'm not going to let it go anymore. He'll be merciful. 
and there and it's just he says that he saves people in their lives as a result. Um, the church again, I believe, has been raptured. Those of us who know Jesus, but then he uses this phrase for the sake of the elect. What he's talking about here are people who come to faith after the rapture. So uh, Revelation 6, 7 speaks of these things. Um, the 144,000 Jews that come from the, the tribes, right? They are going to come to know Jesus. They are part of the elect that Jesus saves in the, in the tribulation period. There will be people. We have friends in our family who um, have different faith and, and we pray for them and and they don't know Christ. And our hope, we've talked about this with our girls, you know, when Jesus comes and we're gone, our prayer is that they go, oh my gosh, it was true. And our prayer is that they get right with Jesus and they become a part of this group of the elect that knows Christ and is saved, right? Um, Revelation 7 speaks of these people who are saved during the tribulation. And it talks about this amazing time of worship from people who've come through the tribulation and they've washed their robes white. It's beautiful. From every tribe, nation, and tongue. These are the people who've been saved in these last days. And then we look at continued deception and false prophets. So verse 21. And then if, we, uh, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Look, there he is. Do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if, possibly, if possible, the, the elect. So what's interesting is last week we studied the first part of the prophecy, which was about the destruction of the temple, right? And he speaks to us in the church age and says, don't be deceived. And he, and he, and he gives us these, uh, these warnings, if you will. Um, and now he's, he's doing it again. He's, he's saying that back then in our age, there will be people who claim to be false. There'll be false messiahs that claim to be Christ, and they are not. And he says, even in the tribulation period, there's going to be even then people who claim to be messiahs and who claim to be prophets and who are not. So in both seasons, what you see is the devil continuing to try and deceive, continuing to try and, and deter people from faith in Christ, and uh, it just continues all the way until the end, all right? This is what I want to encourage you with. This, I, I love that Paul puts that in the, the First Thessalonians 4, the last verse. Encourage one another with these words. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I can read this and I go, oh, I, start, I start to get fearful, right? You, you, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Or this is, Some of this is kind of scary, but instead we need to be encouraged of Jesus' return and that He is with us, right? The Bible tells us in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from His love, right? Nothing. Those of us who are in Christ, nothing can separate us from His love. In Revelation 3, Jesus says, I will never blot out His name from the book of life. So regardless of people who would try and deceive and draw us away, if you know Jesus, you're His. He will keep and protect you. I love the way that John puts it. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice. And this is my prayer for my friends who I feel like are being deceived. I pray, Lord, if they know you, let them hear and know your voice. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
Friends, we, we're not saved because of just how awesome you are. I'm overwhelmed every day at how not awesome I am. Every day. As I pray, as I seek the Lord, I just, I'm reminded of what a miserable sinner I am. I'm reminded of how desperate I am for the grace and mercy of Jesus. Friends, if it was up to me, I'm going straight to hell. If it's up to my ability to be good, to hold up a standard that is worthy of God alone, I'm going to hell. But it's not. It's based on the finished work of Jesus. It's not based on me being good all to the, up to the point where right when I die, okay, whew, I made it. No, friends. Nothing can snatch you from the hand of our mighty God. Nothing can blot your name from this book of life. Jesus will be with you. Even in these times that we live in, even in the tribulation period, he will be with those who are his. Lastly, Jesus gives us a, a warning of preparation to his disciples. In the very last verse, he gives some direction and some details here. He says, be on guard. He said it again. He says, I told you all things beforehand. Jesus is saying, listen, I've given you what you need to know. Now be on guard. Be ready be prepared. He mentions this being on guard, both, again, to those of us in the church age, after the destruction of the temple, who have lived now for these 2,000 years, and now he encourages those who will be living as believers through the tribulation period. In fact, there's this interesting phrase, I didn't, I didn't, I missed it in my notes, but a little interesting phrase at the beginning of our passage, it says, let the reader understand, you see that? Not sure exactly about that. It could mean Mark saying to his Roman audience, hey, listen, understand that this is a prophecy from Daniel. Let the reader understand this is Jesus' prophecy, but he's also speaking of Daniel's prophecy. It literally could even be Jesus saying, let the reader understand, knowing that this is coming to us and that this will be in his word. I, I don't know. But the point being that he is speaking to multiple ages of believers, Believers before the rapture, believers after the rapture in the tribulation period. But he says in both ages to be ready. He says in both ages, be on guard. Both ages, don't be deceived. Some translations say take heed. Right? Get your house in order. Be ready for what is happening. What does this mean? I, there's a great book that I believe the Lord led me to this past week. I really love a teacher by the name of uh, Dr. David Jeremiah. Lori and I got to meet him a few, year, meet, meet him a few years ago. And um, he's a wonderful teacher, and he really specializes in end-time events and heaven and those kinds of things. He has a new book out called The World of the End that, that is specifically a study on the Olivet Discourse, which I think is wonderful. He says in that book, God lets us in on his plans for the future so that we can establish our plans today. His promises should shape our priorities and sustain our spirits. Right? So there's an element of encouragement. We don't have to be afraid Jesus is with us. However, how does it change your life today? How does knowing Jesus is coming back and the end is coming, how does it change how you live today? Or do you just live the same? We need to wake up, friends. 
we need to wake up to the reality that we, uh, God is using us for his glory to take his gospel to the ends of the world. We need to know that. We need to live like that. Are you ready for the end? I keep thinking about the parable of Jesus in Matthew 25 when he speaks about the ten virgins and they're having enough oil. It's about preparation. Right? When, when he comes back, when, when he comes back, are you going to have enough oil? Are you going to be ready? That what I'm asking you is, do you have the oil? Are you ready? If Jesus were to come back right now, do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you would go? Do you know that you have trusted in Christ as your Savior? If you have any doubt about that, you need to, to, to repent today. You need to fall on your knees. You need to come talk to one of our leaders, our elders, our pastors, or pastors, or our friend, and say, show me how to be saved. Beyond that, as a believer, are you ready? Because can I just tell you, it's not just about going, oh yeah, I've got, I, I, I prayed a prayer at camp, and I kind of go to church here and there, and I kind of believe a few th- Friends, that's not ready. How do we live ready? How do we live prepared for the, the coming of Christ? Do we live in such a way that we're expectant and eager for His arrival? Do you see people around you? This is one of the things that has been on my heart in the last several days especially. Do you, do you see people around you and you begin to go, I wonder if they know Jesus? Or do you even think about it? I, I had a, we had a delivery yesterday from Amazon. And a girl came up and she put the package down. I said, hey, you want a water? She's like, yeah, I got her a water. And, and after she left, I didn't, I didn't witness to her. I, didn't, I should have, I'm sure. But after she left, I thought, I could have used that water. I could have talked about how hot it is. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of things I could have gone to, you know. Obviously, I, I'd rather them be more relational than talk about the heat of hell. But, uh, but the point being, I was thinking about her. And I've thought about her a lot since. I don't know that she knows Christ. What about your neighbors? What about your family? What about the people you work with? What about the people that surround your life and your circles of influence? Are you praying for them? Or are you seeing this as an opportunity before Jesus comes, because he could come any minute, to get your life right, to be ready in your own uh, family and existence about your faith and to live missionally? You know, there was a song, I'm a songwriter and I appreciate good songs. And there was an old country, and I'm not a big country music fan at all. But there was a song that Tim McGraw sang. Remember that song, Live Like You're Dying? Good, cool song. Great concept. And I started thinking, Christians, we ought to live like we're leaving. Mm-hmm. Right? We need to be ready. We need to, need to have things ready in our hearts. What does that mean? Jeremiah, David Jeremiah says, we prepare by being wise and discerning about the false claims of religious hucksters. We prepare by resting in the fact that God is sovereign and whatever happens to us in part is part of his plan. We prepare by trusting that he's creating opportunities for us to bear witness and he'll give us the words we need when we need them. We prepare by learning to endure hardships so that when, we're, uh, when greater hardships come, we don't fall by the wayside. We prepare by refusing to allow ourselves to buy the lie that the things of this world are the most important things. 
And we prepare by praying each day for God's strength to face whatever life may hold for us. What is Jesus saying to us? Just in these two texts, the first half that we studied last week, this week, a couple of things that he has reiterated this week is don't be deceived. But one of the things he said last week, and I want to encourage your heart with this, he said, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Unless you don't know him as your Savior, then let that alarm ring until you can't do anything but fall on your face under the mercy and conviction of Jesus and come to him. He loves you. If, if you're a believer today, don't be alarmed. He, he uses this phrase, he says, this must take place. There's things that just have to happen in this time. And it seems scary in moments, but they just have to happen. But don't be alarmed. Don't be anxious. But be on guard and be a witness. I like the way there's a commentary that you can find online called uh, Enduring Word. And I, one of the things I thought was interesting, I, I use six or seven commentaries when I study. And this, this one just had an interesting little four-statement thing it said about being prepared. And I'll close with this. It says, when it comes to being prepared, it should cause us to have, a, it should cause a, a purifying effect on how we live, right? So when we truly consider Jesus is coming, am I living right? Do I need to change some things in my heart? Do I need to change some things in my mind? Do I need to have more accountability in my life? How do I need to walk out life with people? How do I need to be more intentional with people? It should give us a sense of urgency. And as I study this, I feel even that much more. It should give us a sense of boldness as witnesses for Christ. That's what the church prayed for, the early church, right? In Acts 4, Lord, give us boldness. Give us boldness to be witnesses for you. And it should give us a perspective, a good biblical perspective of the things that are eternal and the things that are temporal. And we should live, obviously, for the things that are eternal. Friends, Jesus knows the future, doesn't he? And it will come to pass exactly as he says it will. Do you live like that? Do I live like that? Are we ready? What does it mean for us? What do we need to change? What do we need to do? And I, I just got to tell you, I was just thinking about this. And some of our elders um, feel very, very strongly about this. Part of the reason we do church differently, and we do, is because of these end times we live in. Can I tell you, there are churches all over this city that do a similar strategy, a similar plan. We need to do something different. There are people that only we can reach. There are people that, that, that need something different. That, that's, that's one of the reasons we're doing things differently. We're trying to prepare you and equip you as disciple makers. So if COVID happened again, we go, well, we meet in homes already. I can meet with my neighbors down the street. Close us down. Because the church is not a building you can lock up. It's a people you cannot shut up. So there's a reason to why we do what we do and what we're doing. The vision that God has given us is not just about being the same old church that we've always been. That's convenient. We want to be the church of the New Testament that is on mission to see people come to know Jesus as disciples in a relevant, relational, and missional way. Right? Even the building is, is part of that vision 
and desire and strategy to reach the lost and the least. Mm -hmm. That is our heart. And I believe even this conversation about end times, eschatology, end things, even has to do with some of what God is doing in us. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. You're so kind and so good. We thank you, Father, for this day to be together as a family. We thank you for the privilege of singing over one another and praying together. And Lord, this unbelievable privilege of looking at your, this prophecy and looking at your word and, and studying it deeper. And I, I pray, Lord, that, that, that everyone would leave here with an interest in this conversation that they would leave here and they really would look at Daniel 8, 9, and 11, and 12, and that they really would look into to more studies of the rapture in 1 Thessalonians and, and 2 Thessalonians and, and in Corinthians, Lord, that we would, we would see you doing, Lord, what you want to do in us. God, I pray that you would, um, pray that you would just meet our need, Father, today. If, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord God, I pray that you would just draw them to yourself in conviction. And Lord, I pray that you would prepare your bride. Prepare us to know that we are ready, Father, when you come. Our lives are being lived in such a way that we want to honor you. That we're convicted of sin in our lives. We want to get that right. We want to get that out. Lord, we want to hold each other accountable. We want to walk in such a way that we know you more and we're making you known. God, with an excitement and an adventure that you are doing a work in us. And that by your grace, you're changing us to be the people of God you're calling us to be. Thank you for the way you provided. Thank you for these wonderful people. I pray, God, that you would go with us now as we leave these walls in this place. And we walk out being the people of God you've called us to be. To be the church where we live, where we work, where we play. That we would be cognizant, that we'd be aware of people around us that so desperately need you, Jesus. Help us to push through the awkwardness push through the anxiety, push through the, the little fear, God, of what they may think to have a fear of what their future may hold instead and say, Lord, help us put words in our mouth, Spirit of the living God, so that we could be witnesses to you, so that people may know you, your goodness and your grace, that it would be a testimony to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And Lord, I just say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Father. I pray that, that this will just be a reality that happens in our lifetime, Lord. But whatever you do, God, help us to live like it's happening, like it's coming, so that we would honor you with all that we are, all that we say, and all that we do. We bless you, Lord, and we give you this day, and we thank you for your uh, kindness and grace upon us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.